So uh, years ago when I had my very first appointment in the mid to late 80s, uh, two small churches in uh, western Kansas, um, in one of the churches a couple of members decided to leave. I don't know, maybe they didn't like the way I parted my hair or something. But uh, it, was, uh, it was quite devastating for a young pastor to have somebody just leave like that. Um, and I was um, really concerned about it for, for quite some time, uh, very upset about it, not knowing what to do. And I talked to a, a, a wiser, much wiser and more experienced pastor of many, many years, decades that is, uh, who, who told me this story, and it's so simple, I, sim I simply cannot forget it. He, he said, Chad, it's like this. He said, pretend like you're a bus driver. <laughs> okay. Uh, he said, you, you, you're going to stop, and some people are going to get on the bus, and some people are going to get off. You're going to drive to the next stop, and some people are going to get on, and some people are going to get, and he did this like six or seven times, okay? I'm not going to put you through that. But at the end of it, and I won't use his more colorful language, he said, Chad, just drive the darn bus. <laughs> just drive the bus. Don't worry about that piece. And he went on to, uh, you know, fill that out a little bit by talking about, you know, the church is a community. And departing or arriving, and we welcome our new members with joy and gratitude today, it, it is all a part of the process. And it's the work that we do together that, that, is, that makes it so profound. It is about being family or community. You can use one or both of those words. I think of it both ways for, for our church. The reason for the anxiety at that time for me came out of the fact that in the 80s, we were really starting to notice the decline in membership in our denomination. Indeed, in, in all the mainline congregations in the United States, you know, there was starting to be this significant decline. Churches weren't filling up like they used to. Things were getting different. And leadership in, in our denomination was getting anxious about that. What do we do? What, what's the fix? You know, what's the quick fix we can do? And that led to a, a number of, of strategies that, that arose out of that anxiety, this, this way of thinking that somehow we must be flawed. Something's really wrong with us, and we've got to fix that. Hmm. Those strategies were interesting. Lots of consultants, church growth consultants, started to pop up. People who could help you uh, look at your church internally and externally in the community. How could you make yourself more palatable, more welcoming to people? What would be the things that you could do there? I, I bought into this stuff big time as a young pastor. Uh, and I went to a one-week training and became a church consultant. <laughs> one-week expertise, right? I, it lasted a grand total of two churches. Uh, <laughs> Most of the consultants um, were really focusing on, you know, fix up your bathrooms, add programs of interest to the missing young adults, train people how to talk to, talk to others about Jesus, get outside the walls of your church and the community. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that stuff. It's, it's, it, those are good ideas. I think there's things of, of merit there for us to consider. 
but it was coming out of this place of anxiousness and anxiety in a way that it just didn't feel healthy. I went on to become the district director of evangelism. I didn't even know what that meant, but I, walked, I went around to churches and shared all this training I'd learned with them. I don't know if anybody grew as a result of that or not, but it was well intended. On the other hand, you know, we have this group of people who, who were the church growth movement. Get as many people in the pews as we can. Let's bring them all back. Let's bring in the kingdom. And then I, I went uh, uh, sometime in the midst of all of that to, to hear uh, a famous uh, preacher and theologian speak about uh, being a prophetic preacher. And his contention was if you were truly a prophetic preacher, you would be preaching to empty pews. The idea being that the message of the prophet, and, and go and seriously read some of the prophets, read, read Jeremiah, read Amos, any of them, go and read them, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Their, their voices are harsh, they're shrill, they're not what the, the establishment wants to hear. That's prophetic preaching. It's less about predicting the future and more about talking about what's happening in the moment, in the now. That's the work of the prophets in Scripture. He spoke that way to me. So I have in my mind now, as a young pastor, these two ways of being. Grow the church, bring in the kingdom, and be prophetic. Speak God's truth. Worry not about the outcome. Worry not if people leave. Which way to go? Well, I've, I've, I've struggled with that. My, the entirety of my ministry, and I've kind of, in the last several years, come to, to really think of that, you know, both right and wrong, you know, to, to, to lean far one way or the other is, is a challenge. We have to have the courage, not just pastors, but laity as well, to be prophetic, to speak to the injustices and inequities in our community, to speak of those who have trouble uh, speaking with their own voice, the marginalized, the poor, those that live on the edges, on the, on the outside of realms of influence. The voice of the church is important for them. And our voice to them, that we can elevate their voices and make them heard. That's prophetic ministry. We should all be about that. And at the same time, why not be open as a church to bringing in as many people as we possibly can? How are we hospitable and invitational? This is, and, and by the way, you are a wonderful church at doing this work of hospitality, of what you recognize people at the doors, you welcome I mean, you feel like you're a part of a home or a family almost immediately. I hear that from people who have joined over the years. You know, that's what it was that brought you in. And that's such a powerful thing. So, so we're doing a lot of this really well. And that's, that's good stuff. A lot has changed since those days of that initial struggle that I had. We've been through, you know, 9-11 coming up. There's been wars, tensions and hot spots all around the world. We've been through a COVID pandemic. We're seeing advances in AI and other types of technology and communications that are unsettling for us and worrisome and United Methodist Church disaffiliations. Now, I don't know how much you know about the 
whole disaffiliation process, but denominationally speaking, it's been torturous uh, for, for many churches. There's been a lot of pain and heartache over this issue, irrespective of what your belief system is about um, human sexuality issues in the church. Those things have impacted us deeply. I don't think we can simply lightly say, let's bring in the kingdom, let's, let's all get together and have a good time. The church has to be about that serious prophetic work as well. So they really, more than ever, go hand in hand. As, a, as, a, as your former district superintendent, most experience in, in the church and pastors and lay leadership in, in all of the churches have talked about the struggles around political, theological, and uh, deep divides over certain social issues. That's a reality. I bet it's right here as well. I don't know your political, I don't think I've asked anybody what your political leanings are yet, but I'm assuming we've got people across the spectrum here. And you know what? I like that in a church. I like that kind of diversity and thoughtfulness. Pastors and insightful laity work hard in churches to keep people together. Lots of times the pastor feels in the middle being forced to take one side or the other. I had a um, person come to me shortly before the end of my tenure as district superintendent and talking about his hurt as a pastor. He said, I feel damaged and traumatized by my church. And he said, all the pastors are feeling this fatigue that comes from ministering to so many hurting and angry people. So that anxiety and tension, as it did back in the 80s over a, a decline in membership, now rose up around an issue. You see, it doesn't matter what the issue is, it's the content, it's that anxiety and pain that's there that causes people to hurt. Hindsight might be 2020 for me, but my take is different from some of, my, some of my colleagues, I suspect. For me, it starts with the gospel text that we have before us today. It's a familiar one, I suspect, to many of you, but one that maybe is a little perplexing, a little hard to, to define what it means. Basically, the, the overall theme of our gospel text that was read this morning is, <clears throat> excuse me, it calls us to redefine confrontation or intervention, seeking to rescue and forgive and offer care. Now, that, there's nothing new with that, right? That's just, I mean, that's the gospel. That's, that's Jesus in, in, in all of the gospel texts, all of the epistles. We hear that story over and over again. It's a part of Torah law. It's in, in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. But here's the part that's difficult for me, and you'll probably enter into that difficulty for me as well. In this particular passage, it is, it is a Christ mandate. The main theme of this passage is that we are to care for the offender, the sinner, the person who hurts or traumatizes. And it doesn't define who's in and who's out in that category. But we are to be there to offer them care and support and to move them 
toward repentance. Now, that doesn't mean we're to forget those that have been hurt by this person or that group. Ultimately, the text call and the larger text of the Gospels calls on reconciliation of all. But in this particular case, there's a focus on those who, who are the offender, the criminal, the outlier, the, the, the person that, that, that brings hate or violence to us. How do I do that? How do I, how do I get over myself and be there for a person that, say, robs me at gunpoint on the street to take an extreme approach? In verse 15 of that text, go back and read that again, the goal is to regain what was lost in terms of healthy relationships, to regain uh, a kind of a, a, a stasis that is um, healthy and vibrant in relationships. So the offended receive the care that they need, but also attention to those who offend. Think about that. You know, what does that word offend mean to you? Those who, or, or sin, they, the text in some translations use sin. It's about caring for all. But in this text, it is leaning toward caring for those who offend. Wow. I think about uh, the, the rise of, of, of Christian fundamentalism in the 80s. Um, there was a great scholar at University of Chicago, theologian by the name of Martin Marty. And uh, this is not a verbatim quote, but uh, he once said in an article that I read, until we can understand and accept uh, uh, that fundamentalists believe themselves to be a tribe that has been slighted, nothing will change. Nothing will change. So if, you've been, if you were around in that time or, or you, know, you know fundamentalism being you know, this very rigid, uh, literalistic approach to scripture, uh, very different from the way we as United Methodists interpret and, and live out our faith lives, he's saying we gotta understand them. We can't just say they're the offender they're, they're the ones that, you know, you know, disparaging them. We have to love them, accept them for who they are, start a conversation. The text doesn't go into details about next steps for any of this. I think it's asking us to live into it and to be open to the possibility. Even if nothing productive happens, the tension can start to wane when we reach out. So let's just use this for an example. If, you're, if you happen to be politically very far right and you don't have one, find a friend who's a little more to the left and vice versa. Find a friend who's a little more to the right. Find people you can talk with and have conversation with over a cup of coffee. Or this, think about the people who sit with you in restaurants or at a dinner table? Do they look exactly like you? Or is there diversity around that table in some way? How do we begin to open our lives and our hearts to those around us that we're wary, weary of or wary of? And how do we begin to welcome them into our lives with true hospitality? That's a difficult calling. This is the tougher text for me in, in this gospel. It asks that we do this 
kind of caring work for people we detest or that we denounce for their behaviors or their beliefs or their actions. It asks that I care for them. Me. I have to go care for these people. What does that mean? I think it's about living into what the gospel speaks to me by saying, you know, it's about sacrifice and it's about care, Chad, on a very individual and personal level. How am I going to sacrifice of myself to be there for the prisoner, for the one who has offended, and yet care for those who have been hurt? It's a, it's a tough act. It's a tough balance. So it's living into that call. I would invite you to live into it as well. You'll know you're doing it, I believe, when you start to feel, I like to say, that pinch in your side. You ever had one of those, like a stomach cramp when you're exercising? You get that pinch. You get that, that, that gnawing feeling that this, this doesn't feel right. I'm not used to this. That's when you know it's working. A friend of mine, another pastor, used to say, Chad, it's about going toward the roar, R-O-A-R, roar, like a lion's roar. Go toward the roar, he said. Go toward the roar. What time is it? It's the title of my sermon. It's time to go toward the roar. How do we do that as individuals, people of faith, and how do we do that as a community of faith? Those are the questions. I don't have the answers right now. I don't know when I will. But I hope together we can talk about those kinds of questions and learn from one another. It's a blessing to be with you. May God bless you this day and in the week to come. Amen.